Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I am rejoined by Stephen J. Manning. Now, he was here with me about three months ago, and I really encourage you to listen to his podcast with me. It was called Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal, and that's true. So today he is going to share how you can adopt his pillars of success and forge ahead forge ahead courageously and mightily. Now, Stephen, just so you know, is known as the 47 billion, with a B, billion dollar man, and is a professional provocateur. And he is known to proudly break protocol and challenge best practices to his advantage and his accomplishments. And in his own word, success defies a universal definition. It's a complex paradigm. It's always defined both qualitatively and quantitatively, and it's unique to individuals, people, groups of people, and populations. And regrettably, success or lack of it is often dictated by necessity rather than choice. Now, Stephen says that his definition of success is having options in life, being able to seek and find satisfaction in ways that he wants to and is able to pursue and not at the expense of others. Stephen, welcome back to your part in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. And good morning, Denise. My pleasure. Thank you. Listen, let's tell the audience you are a friend of mine, and we have regular conversations and you are, I'm not going to say nagging, that's a rude word, but you're teaching me how to be a better writer. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your input. Uh, well, thank you for the kind words. To be clear, friendships are very, very delicate things, kind of like an orchid, the thorns, you know. Uh, I find you uh, to be among the few that I can spend all those hours talking about O oh, A to Z, and the conversations are amazing. Uh, the audience should know that you, the hostess of this podcast, is one of those people you can sit down with for two, three hours and walk away feeling a whole lot of things, mostly satisfied having had the opportunity. In terms of writing, <clears throat> don't let Denise mislead you. Denise can write with the best of them. It's just what she's going to write about and Hope I can contribute to some of that because I do pick on uh, controversial topics or provocative topics. So I look forward to the day when Denise and I are writing partners in something really meaningful. Oh, thank you. Now, see, now I have to cry. Okay, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will. I will now share. I will now share something else with you, Denise. I at all times have a clean handkerchief in my pocket. That's one of the things that my one of the things that my father insisted on as from the time I was a very young boy, and I said to him, Why does a boy need a clean handkerchief? Because by definition we are dirty. And he said, You never know when you look, run into a lady who's going to cry. Mm, so all my, my entire life I have a clean handkerchief in my pocket. And I would like to send you my handkerchief via cyberspace 
this morning if you, in fact, are going to shed a tear, which I hope you can. No, <laughs> thank you. And I love that story. And just so our audience knows, your parents are Holocaust survivors. So that's an important story. It's an important part of your history. He was sharing something that really turns out to be quite important. Uh, yes, I was born and raised in communist Romania uh, right after uh, the Holocaust. My parents are both Holocaust survivors. So both growing up, certainly through my teens in a communist country and being a product of Holocaust survivors, make an indelible impact on one's psyche and one's behavior going forward. Uh, taking this backwards, I'd be glad to talk about it at length. Uh, I recently did a thing for Netflix on children of Holocaust survivors. What an amazing pathology that decades after that event, uh, we children of Holocaust survivors manifest behaviors that are unique, uh, unique and challenging, mind you. Sometimes positive, but challenging. So, yes, I, I, I'm a product of all of that. I write a fair bit about uh, the, the most lasting pathology in history, uh, anti-Semitism. I delve very deeply into the Holocaust. Of course, I also do the same with all manner of genocides preceding that and sense that in modern times, which is astounding, including genocides taking place today in at least three parts of the world including, of course, Ukraine, which is on top of mind for everyone, and China, which very, very few people talk about. I wrote a piece on that as well. I hope you all read it on my blog. Uh, it's called The Fourth Reich. So, yes, it, it's uh, being the product of that world, communism, uh, as well as uh, uh, Holocaust, set us kids onto a path that is somewhat different than most. And we manifest those things I call I call them pathologists to this day. And I get that in you because, like I say, we talk quite a bit. You know, we try to have conversations at least weekly, and I walk away from those things, at, whether it's one hour or three, just trying to scribble it all down. You know, I'm trying to write it down. Can I revisit this? Do I need to ask questions? What the heck was that? Because your life is so fascinating, which leads me to ask, how did all of this that you have just described lead you to become, honestly, such a heck of a writer and salesperson and marketer that you have sold $47 billion worth of services, products for your clients? What in your youth do you think took you down that road? Uh, interesting question. I have not answered. I have not pondered that in its entirety, as you asked, and it's not a good idea to do that live. But no, you know, no. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, you and I talk about the man and the moon on a perfectly dark night, so it's okay. Uh, a couple things contribute to things like becoming a writer, if you will. First, I learned this language. English, I think, is my fourth language. I learned it in my late teens. I learned it, I learned words because I, I lied about my ability to speak language when I got enrolled in school. I lied about my age, which is a perfectly wonderful start to become a successful marketer. You start out by lying a lot in your youth. Uh, I learned the language by learning a lot of words. Uh, you can't read a book with a dictionary because that will take a millennia. 
So I would pick up a book and begin to read, and I would write down words on the side of the page, not understand anything. And to me, the bigger the word, more likely it was important. So I learned a lot of words. Uh, Denise, over years, I learned a million words. And then later, I began to learn the little ones, you know, at and, and the little connecting words. So for a while, it sounded like a really badly translated Chinese menu. So I learned all these words. And someone asked me that on interview yesterday about my use of the language, which tends to be a little unusual, uh, unworthy, as you, can, as you know. And I said, you know, I struggled so hard. I paid such a price for learning all these words. I'll be done if I won't just use them all. So what's the point of using an ordinary word when I know three others? So that reflects to some extent in my language. And the syntax reflects my background. Now, in terms of motivation, I was just fortunate to be raised by two people who were remarkable, my mom and dad. Although they were polar opposites as personalities, they somehow managed to live together much of their lives, which is a testimony to my mother's uh, amazing love for this awfully difficult man that my father was. My father, and they were both very expressive people. My mother in a very subtle, elegant way. Her language was really wonderful. To the day she passed away very ill, every single day, she called me and gave me a new word she just learned in English. My father, my father was a remarkable man, and among other things, an intellectual snob. Heck, if he could quote it in Latin or German or French, that's what he would do. Insufferable, but amazing. The encouragement you get from someone who expresses himself as he did on everything, and everything coming out of that mouth, that man's mouth was black and white. There was no moral ambiguity. There was no situational ethics. He spoke unfiltered. To some extent, I got that from the man. I'm encouraged to be unfiltered, because I believe somewhere in there is in the DNA. Uh, writing to me, you and I talk about this for hours and hours, this is such an amazing topic. It's kind of like, can I teach you to draw a horse? Not really, but can, I, can, I, can you and I write a good sentence, a good paragraph? Of course we can. If we just allow the simple process. Now, writing is a very different kind of being naked. Uh, you don't, if you're going to write with someone in mind, now let's set aside advertising, because that's a different world from which I can speak, because I've written... 10,000 pieces of advertising in my lifetime, fortunately, many successfully. But if you're going to sit there at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 6 in the afternoon, and write with someone in mind, unless you're writing a letter, uh, uh, give it up. If you're writing saying, wait a minute, I need to be careful here. Who's going to read this? And then you begin altering. Well, you know what? Uh, doesn't work. Just that doesn't work. So you need to be... Write it, go for it. Say what you want to say. And here's something I, I say all the time. If you don't say what you mean and don't say it forcefully, you're betraying everything you stand for. So I agree with uh, you. That's, that's a couple too many sentences of writing. No, not really, because it's important and it's Part of your success is definitely writing. I mean, there's no question. So 
your parents are amazing people. I love to hear their stories. What we want to, and thank you. So, and I had a thought, Stephen, and my brain just took it and left. It's over in the refrigerator, I think, doing a meditation. Uh-huh. It'll all come back. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that open refrigerator no, 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 door syndrome. <laughs> just be careful. Some things don't fall out too well. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But we're talking about success, and by anybody's definition, you are very much a success in in different areas. Writing, writing is very definitely, I don't know how many books you've got. There's a bunch of them. I have uh, my favorite book of yours, and we'll talk about that. It's here on my desk. But what, oh, 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 I know what it was. It just came back from the kitchen. We were talking about education, and you're talking about learning to read and write English. You've got to tell our audience about your, because you couldn't read. You couldn't. You took an IQ test in Fairfax School, Fairfax, I can't remember the name of it now, in California. And our mutual friend, Dr. Jim Tunney, who is dean of NFL referees, happened to be the principal. You have to share that story. Oh. Uh, I giggle about that story because once again it ties into my youthful uh, I have to be careful my my youthful lack of character if you will that ultimately ends up being success uh, in my again I was a kid I was in, in my uh, uh, in my mid-teens when we were kind of um, uh, penniless immigrants in LA and an aunt I believe she was an aunt I'm not sure uh, declared two weeks into three weeks into that I had to go to school, uh, and that's uh, the challenge of that is that uh, well I didn't speak any English. I mean I knew 30, 40 words of English, <clears throat> none of them I could uh, really use use in public, but it is what it is. So she takes me off to Fairfax High School, and we have a convention, we have a decision. Uh, since I don't understand anything that's spoken in English really, the gig was very simple. Uh, you. She talks, I nod vigorously. Uh, I follow her lead. So, because to enroll me in a remedial English school, she thought that would just kill me. I was, didn't have the temperament for that, so she said, we'll do this, and you'll figure it out. Uh, story of my life, you'll figure it out. Uh, it's like being thrown in a pool without getting a swimming lesson. Anyway, so we truck on down to the local high school, and I nod a lot, and I get admitted. They, they, they don't need, my contribution was two things. They asked me how old I was. I lied. Uh, and they asked what grade I was in before I got here. I lied. See, there's no point in blowing another year, year and a half in high school. You're going to flunk out anyway. So I might as well flunk out in style. I get admitted. As the fate would have it, <clears throat> two weeks later, three weeks later, they administer the annual um, IQ tests. That was in a day when IQ tests were okay. They were not socially inappropriate. They were not anything else. IQ tests. Well, the problem with that, of course, is I did not understand the instructions. And then they gave me this massive piece of paper. Some of you may remember what those look like. And you, a thousand questions, you fill in the little boxes with a funny little pencil. Well, okay, well, I saw everybody else filling in boxes. I filled in boxes. And I filled in lots of boxes, and I created really nice patterns, you know. I didn't understand any of those words, but it was kind of cool. So I ended up handing in something that you and I laughed about. This would look like one of those 
somebody told me those things you put under the cake called doilies. They like lattice work stuff. So I turned this nonsensical thing in. I'm done with that. A few weeks later, the, the results come in. I uh, get a call to go to the principal's office. So I meet two people there, a, a nice woman I did not know, and a nice man, a tall, good-looking man in a dark suit, and they're staring at me. And the uh, tall guy, uh, he was a principal of, of the high school, asked, uh, asked the other woman, is this the guy, is this the kid? They said, yeah, this is the kid. And then I stared at me for two minutes. I had no idea what. I wasn't going to say, hey, how you doing? I just stood there, and I was dismissed. Now, I wasn't thrown out of the high school. Uh, the interesting thing is, and that's moved forward decades, Denise Griffith talks to me about her friend Jim Tunney, Dr. Tunney to me. Dr. Tunney was that high school principal that did not toss me out of high school because I was clearly illiterate. And the reason he didn't throw me out of the school and the reason he summoned me was, as I found out decades later, he just wanted to see what that looked like. That was in his high school. They had an IQ of 69. And here we are years later. I now had an opportunity to communicate again with Dr. Tony, who is a very good friend of Denise's, and there's a gap of decades between the two. And to this day, other than what Tony told Denise, the fact that the man didn't throw me out of the school was remarkable. Clearly, I was younger than I said I was. Clearly, I didn't speak a word of English, and my IQ was 69. And there's the deceptive beginning to my career in advertising. So we have Jim Tunney to blame for this? I have to let him know. <laughs> I will be let speaking he, with him, him later today. <laughs> let, he, let him know that he created a non-indicted felon. You know what? And I think I shared with you what his response was when I emailed him about you. He said, I'm just always delighted to hear how well my students do. He, I mean, and that's genuine. It would have never occurred to him to toss you out. He saw you. He knew that you didn't have an IQ of 69. He was going to let you either fail or succeed, but it was going to be on you. Uh, God bless the man because he was, you know, for, th for those that listen to this and don't know Tony, Tony was an NFL referee. He refereed more major league games, if you will, uh, uh, playoff games, Super Bowls, and any referee in the history of the game. He's known as the Dean of Referees. Just a really cool, brilliant man, and quite frankly, scared the heck out of me while he walked down the hallways at Fairfax High School. But then he didn't throw me out, uh, for which, of course, I owe him a better gratitude. Have, if, he had, if he had relegated me to a school for remedial English kids, uh, I would have, oh, God. I would have Life would have been different, yeah. Well, thank goodness y'all met, and it turned out the way it did. And he, and I'll just say this to the world, Jim Tunney is one of my absolute favorite people in the world. He's a very dear friend of mine, and I have such great love and respect for him. So I'm glad that between 
me and Jim, we both had the opportunity to meet you, Stephen. So let's talk now about success because it's – and Churchill said this, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. And isn't that the thing that always stops us, kind of like the hell yes or hell no that – I was talking about earlier, you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. It's your choice. Um, it's an interesting thing. Um, you and I have talked about this. I'm, I'm writing a book called Tex Oscar, which is uh, Oscar's and Oscar Wilde. And it's a book on uh, the starting point of every single piece in the book is a famous quote by one of my favorite quotables. And there's a bunch of those people I quote, and I study, you know, uh, Wilde and George, uh, Shaw, Martin Luther King, Rousseau, Twain, uh, Kierkegaard, for example, Krauthammer, George Garland, comedian. Uh, well, I love Churchill, George Garland. Uh, you know, I, I love them all. My, my problem with George Garland is I just don't, can't remember everything he said. That would be a wonderful thing. Eris Toddle, hey, Billy Connolly, you know, Lenny Bruce. And the quote you reeled off from Churchill is very much on top of mind because I do talk about and write about success. So uh, uh, lead me on. Uh, it's an interesting thing you say. It's your choice to succeed or not. And at some point maybe I can talk about a, a, a little thing that I now talk about, wrote called Success is War. Um, the interpretation of success, how, how do people see it, what they don't see it. Uh, as, but in terms of pillars of success, and, you know, I, I need to digress for just one moment because when we define success, another topic we talk about freely, I think you're a very, very successful person. You're also a very successful business person, and I think those two are not necessarily the same, although obviously they impact on each other. Uh, I remind myself when I grouse about this or that, when I'm unhappy about this, and of course I'm unhappy a lot, because if I wasn't unhappy, I couldn't write about being unhappy. Uh, I think about, I have to remind myself of the world around me. And I don't mean uh, driving on the west side in Los Angeles yesterday underneath an underpass, the west side L.A., uh, 350 feet, I measured it, I drove it, measured it, of strewn garbage piled six, seven feet high, trash, and in there, there are human beings living. So I remind myself of the rest of the world that doesn't have what you and I have, maybe little, maybe a lot, and I have to remind myself there are billions of people in the world for whom success in fact, just having food and shelter. And tragically, there's a subset of those people for whom success is simple survival. So it just, which, which really ultimately got me to my definition of success, which you shared earlier. Now, if you want to talk, if you want to talk about pillars of success, and some of those tie into uh, uh, what you and I just talked about, is you have choices, and my pillars of success relate to choices. First, one of my pillars of success, not the first one, that ties into the discussion now, and we can go back to the, the first one, is never consider failure an option. Now, 
That sounds arrogant, doesn't it? It's kind of, kind of simple. Well, not really. First of all, I, I, it's, it's really brainless to concede defeat. And the options you make, take, it is much easier to fail than it is to succeed. Hence, people make choices that not, do not speak to achieving success. And of course, people say, well, what, how can I succeed when others, oh, stop. Yeah, stop Everyone right there. I agree with you. You're you. Stop. You're not anybody Everyone. else. But you and I know this, and we all know this, but we don't really focus on it. All successful people fail at things, often, and remarkably repeatedly and spectacularly. But what they all have in common is that their failures are never because of lack of effort or because of convictions. Rather, you know, something conceptually out of their grasp. You know, sometimes things that don't make sense just don't make sense, which means you don't know enough. Uh, it's interesting that that is, in fact, what Churchill said when we talked about success not being final or a failure or anything else. Now, in terms of how you pursue all this, uh, in my view, how you pursue success or not, or consider failure or don't consider failure, I think there are three options in life. And business, lead, follow, or get out. Now, get out, I cleaned that up a little bit because you don't like profanities, but get out. So what exactly is the point of getting out? I mean, you're mindless, you can see defeat, even before starting anything. Again, so much easier to fail and succeed. Next, follow. Really, you mean just get the flow of things? You mean be ordinary? Uh, how does that make sense? You want to be ordinary? That is the path to obscurity. No, no, no. Don't be ordinary. Next. Of course, last but not least, is to lead. That's an option. There are so many ways to lead in life and business. The most elegant way is to be a thought leader, to, to influence what people think, and even more importantly, how they think. Now, that is the holy grail of leadership. That is a concept, Denise, you know, because every time you get in front of that microphone, it's what you do. By the way, not parenthetic to this, uh, leadership, it may be kind of unclear on a lot about leadership. To it, let's see, I wrote this piece titled, 72 Things a Leader is Not. Yeah, I know it's a cop-out. But since I can't define what it is, I'm going to try to define what it is not. So those are the three, three things associated with one of my pillars of success, which is uh, uh, never consider failure an option. Gene Krantz said that in the movie, um, Apollo 13, and it always stuck with me, and I'm fascinated by NASA anyway. And mm. every time I hear you say that, I immediately see Gene Krantz in my head, <laughs> just so you know. Well, clearly brilliant, right? <laughs> may yes. not be original, but it is brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's just so true. I mean, it, it really, really is. Listen, we all fail. As entrepreneurs, as people who are out there doing our own thing, we're doing it honest to God by instinct most of the time, which I think you just alluded to. But 
And we have to have a cast iron stomach. We are going to fail multiple times, not annually, not quarterly, daily. Something's not going to go right. You were supposed to be here with me last week. Everything went wrong. I wound up buying a new computer. It was just one of those things. Didn't stop us. We're still here. We just you know, managed to reschedule, and here we are. That was a mini failure. Did it ruin my day? No. We have them all day. It's whether you're going to get up, pull your panties up, and get moving and make a success and let that failure go. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Uh, In terms of uh, failure and entrepreneurship, uh, just a quick story. I did a – I was invited to talk before a uh, uh, delivered a lecture at USC, the Graduate School of Business, a bunch of MBAs and a bunch of PhD candidates and way too many very, very smart professors. And in there somewhere, by the way, I was just off an 18-hour airplane, right? Uh, the difference between me and my audience is I had to change T-shirts before I spoke. And I said, to, I said, you know, in the middle of this, we're talking about international entrepreneurship. And I said, I would like to know, all you smart people, how do you spell entrepreneur? And I was so thrilled that the first 10 got it all wrong. No, they didn't misspell it. I said, here's how you spell entrepreneur. And I wrote on the whiteboard. I wrote down two words. It's got two spellings, Rolades and Tums. That's exactly so, right. You know, <laughs> Rolades and Tums. I said, you wake up in the morning and you say, I don't have an option. I need to perform. I need to pull something, not necessarily a rabbit out of a hat. Sometimes, yes, I have to create my own action. If you don't, it's okay. There are phenomenal jobs in industry that are totally predictable. Uh, every morning, we know what we're going to do. We're going to pile one from A to Z, then we're going to pile two from A to Z. We never switch. The life of the entrepreneur is exactly the opposite. That which is an absolute priority, a mandatory event at 10 in the morning, may actually change completely by 11 because you're living, you're living in a tsunami that is really quantified as survival. You know, it's True. Uh, just a, True. Just and a I comment of entrepreneurship. You no, know, you're right. And people say to me, to, you know, Denise, you just sound so calm. <laughs> you, have not, right. you have not peered behind yeah, the veil, I, I have calm. you? I'm calm, I'm also homicidal, and occasionally suicidal, and at the end of the day, hopefully we have a great day. I always have a great day. I do, and I make it part of my focus. You know, there's, I just assume that I'm going to be stomping out fires, and it happens, but I also assume that it's not going to be so god-awful critical that I have to stop in my tracks and just fail. I don't fail. I refuse. I go around it, I blow it up, I hit obstacles, I find a way around them, or this often happens, if something is just absolutely not going to work for me, I find that my second or even third attempt is always better, because I've had time to examine why the universe said, no, Denise, you're not going to do this. It works. Uh, It just works. (laughs) You just uh, helped me get into one other pillar of success, uh, which actually will dovetail into what you just said, uh, that is adopt and leverage, the single most important word in life and business. 
Now, your options are, you know, free. Now, everybody in advertising has been told by all the Uber brains that free is the most important word in advertising. Uh, well, it might have been when Aaron Montgomery created the first direct mail catalog, you know, in the 1800s. It's right through the 20th century, but now every offer has a free. When everything is free, nothing is free. Free no longer has a value. Everybody knows with an IQ of 69 or better, the free is baked into everything you sold. You know, uh, consider the man or woman who's buying a Rolls Royce. Today, that buyer's likely to walk away from that purchase if the gas tank is not full. You know, it's just on the say, on balance, I think free is just cheap. No. The next word, no. You all heard life scientists talk about how no is the most important word there is. Actually, well, I don't really know what a life scientist is. I expect those folks are degreed like basket weavers are. But no, 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 no. I think no is, no is just an ordinary proverbial cop-up. And now to the holy grail. The most important word is yes. And we're getting to what you said a moment ago. It is yes. The only option for those seeking success and willing to take steps and risk to achieve it is yes. It's yes, people, to forge out courageously and most people seek reasons to just say no. Now, speaking of slaying dragons, as you said, it is yes, people, who know that if you're afraid of wolves, let's not be wandering in the forest. The forest of business is inhabited by all manner of wolves. However, yes, people forge ahead into that forest when they see opportunities. Opportunities they can't quantify their potential. Oh, this is a big deal. Qualify the downside liabilities. Uh-oh, we could die of this. And then those that seek success put on their big girl and big boy skirts and pants, walk into that, under the trees. They see a ray of light there. They begin to believe it, slay the dragons and the wolves, and proceed courageously and mightily. And that again, ties into talking. something you just said. Exactly. And again, you're talking about the entrepreneur mindset. And we either have it, I think, or we don't. I'm told that it can be taught. I'm not convinced. But then again, I was born with it. You were. I was. For whatever reasons, it's just, well, for me, I can't work in other people's offices. You don't want me there. Mm-hmm. I don't play well with others. Mm-hmm. I run with scissors, and you can get your own damn coffee. I'm not going to do it. So I am deliberately <laughs> unemployable, deliberately. And, you know, I've become you, 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 mean, you mean you're not going to you're not going to get a diet soda at 3 in the morning when no. you're knocking out brilliant pros? <laughs> No, but I'll tell you how to find the refrigerator if you need directions, but no. <laughs> I know. You refrigerate, I know your refrigerator is flashing the yellow light on it. I know it does. <laughs> well, that's where I do my meditating. So, But anyway, it's <laughs> seriously, I do. I open the refrigerator doors, I stick my head in there, and I go blank, and I get a little break from reality. Oh, not uh, April. You know, well, that sounded bad, didn't it? <laughs> I didn't mean it to may I make, like May that. I make a suggestion? In sure. public here, things like I'm um, stick my head in the refrigerator are woefully close to stick my head in an oven. Oven, uh, oh, no, it's I'm a, it's a spectrum of, of temperature, but 
you know, it's just kind of not a good thing. Well, for me, it's, it's, you know, I'll go in there, I open the refrigerator door, and I can't meditate. I have a monkey brain, a squirrel brain. It doesn't shut down. So this is how I get my brain to just relax a little bit, and I'm not thinking about a darn thing, and I can go back with, with a, you know, a fresh perspective, if you will. It does. It works for me. So let's keep on with the, the pillars of success because we've, wow, we've only got about 23 minutes, and I know you have a lot to share, so keep on going. Well, there are two more pillars of success, and I'll try to rip through them because I would love to give you some examples of how some of this all works out and worked out for me anyway. Uh, one of my pillars of success is homework. How much homework can you do? Well, you do a lot of homework. Then you do a little more homework. Then you do exhaustive homework. And when you're done, you do some more homework. Uh, the bottom line, uh, to use a platitude, there is no substitute for wisdom on the firing line. But you want to get shot before you get in the, uh, in the trenches? Uh, that don't do the homework. How much homework? Not enough. And when you're done, you do some more. Uh, I am a shameless researcher. And if you are that, it dovetails very well with people's willingness, eagerness to share knowledge and help. The amazing discovery I made early on is that I can reach out to the absolute best brains in some discipline, whatever it, whatever it is. I say, hey, Denise, my name is Steve Manning. Uh, I don't know this. I know you know this. Can you help me out and ask really specific questions? Stuff that people learn over many degrees, many years of, of getting beaten up in practice. And the amazing thing is people are so willing to help you. They are. Basic human nature. Basic human nature also help. A lot of us like to hear ourselves talk, like I do. And, it's a, and what's the quick pro quo? I can't tell you how many times I made a call to a guy in Lake Louise, a guy in, in, in Des Moines, Iowa, a guy in, 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 in Belgrade or wherever, and say, look, you are the guy or you're the woman who knows this. I don't. I really like to know this because it's important to me. Can I get on a plane and, and have a cup of coffee with you? The answer is 99% of the time, no, 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 don't trouble yourself. No, 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 no. I can't tell how many times I got on the red eye to go to New York to meet with people, get at the airport, because they were willing to give. So you know what? I'm a shameless researcher. I invite everyone to be a shameless researcher. You laughed at me when I said, well, you know, I, I called the Pope one morning. You did, you did what? I'm still, I know, I'm still laughing over that. You've got to share that story. Well, I, I, have, I have news for you. The Holy Father's probably laughing as well. Uh, no, he's not. He passed away. This was a couple of years ago when we had Carol Wojtyla, Pope Paul, the Polish Pope, who was a really cool guy, by the way, the priest in his young life, a married priest, became Pope. Uh, I had dinner with a bunch of bankers from mid Midwest. I got on my horse. Now, by the way, don't get on the horse and ride it with ideas. This horse is dumb. They'll ride right off the cliff. Uh, I got on my high horse. I said, hey, I won't call anybody more than three times without getting a call back. Uh, they looked at me. I said, okay. By 10 o'clock at night, I was feeling really, really embarrassed. But it was just this outrageous. Now, the reality is that I don't do that. If somebody doesn't return my calls, my, my emails, they either are classless or they don't want to talk to me. 
In either event, don't chase a wagon that doesn't want to pick you up. So 5 o'clock in the morning, I wake up mad to death because I was such an ass the day before. So I sit down at my desk at home in my office. I'm wearing a pair of Nike shorts. I shouldn't say that. Nike and I are not friends. And I called the Vatican. Now, anybody can call the Vatican. They speak English. I speak Italian. Nice woman at the, at the receptionist, for some reason, didn't think I was a nutcase. And I said, look, I'm not a nutcase. I, am in, I, I do this and this. I'd love to talk to the Holy Father. And by the way, I've seen the Holy Father do these things Sunday mornings in St. Peter's Square 50 times over the years. Okay. Next thing, I'm talking to this cardinal. That must be the, 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 the Pope's valet. He's the secretary. Now, I don't remember his name, the Italian cardinal, you know, the purple beanie guy. And he gets on the phone, and I said to him, look, again, I'm not a crackpot. I'm sitting in my office in L.A. and love to ask the Holy Father a theological question. And the guy said to me, would you like to speak English? I said, sure. So then he says, well, you know, the Holy Father's sitting here next door reading the newspaper. He likes to talk to people. And you know what? Let me ask him. Maybe he'll talk to you. I said, how cool is that? Hey, I don't feel so dumb anymore from last night, you know. Uh, three minutes later, it gets went, the Holy Father will talk to you for a couple of minutes. I said, okay, as my knees buckled, you know. And next is the Holy Father speaking Italian. And I said to him, uh, 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 you're, uh, you know, uh, your Holy Father, uh, I, I, I really was not prepared for this conversation. And then he said, uh, would you rather speak English? Because, you know, my English is better than my Italian, and, my, and I don't think you speak Polish. I said, please. He said, so what can I do for you, my son? And I said, you know, I don't know how to say this, but I am embarrassed. I am sweating. I don't know what to say. I wasn't prepared. I never expected to get to you. The man started to giggle. And then he said, well, I'll tell you what. Now that I know you, call next time. If I can, I'll talk to you. And then I get to talk to the cardinal again. He said, well, how'd your conversation go? I said, it didn't go at all because I didn't know what to say. What was I going to say? Hey, Padre, good afternoon, you know. And the guy's giggling. I said, look, he said, call back. Now that we know you, call back. That's nice. And I said to this nice man, I said, you know, I'm going to be in Rome in about three weeks, a business I passed through, and I always go to St. Peter's Basilica because it's just amazing. Do you think I could get in to see the Holy Father? At which point this Italian cardinal said to me, now nah, you're pushing your luck, bud. I said, so, okay, thank you, your eminence. And I hung up, and I discovered that I was soaked from head to toe. Uh, my chair was soaked. And I was literally shaking. But the point is, I did call the Pope. And, and, you know, being a shameless researcher, I will talk to anybody about anything if they want to talk to me. Uh, uh, unless, of course, they're recently institutionalized. Because I can learn from the young man that parked my car the same way I learned from a, a childhood friend whom I reconnected with after 35 years who's one of the great brains on earth. I mean, I, I, it's hard to relate to people who get published in multiple languages and all of that. I can learn from him. 
not necessarily more than the young man who parked my car. But then I am a shameless researcher. The story I told you is I got on a plane once in, in New York going to Paris, connecting to Vienna. I, have a bus- I had a business in Europe. I had an office in Vienna, Budapest, so on. I sat down next to a guy. Happens to be, he work, has two businesses, works for the United Nations, and they have a consulting practice. He had two other guys. He would be the world eminent expert of reproduction trends in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, I know that you and me and lots of listeners think about that all day long. Frankly, no, not really. never occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Never occurred to me, although I was there once to prove a point. The point is I could make a phone call from a mud hut there. And sure enough, somebody had a sat phone. But so I started to talk to this guy on this very long delay flight. Brilliant. The clarity of thinking is phenomenal. But the stuff he's talking about, he might as well have been speaking, I don't know, uh, Mandarin Chinese, which I know nothing beyond menu items. And I sat next to this guy, and then he got to talk about how he handled his consulting clients. Who are his consulting clients? Governments, heads of state. So we land in Paris. I said, when will I ever get an opportunity to talk to this? To be in the presence of greatness, it's amazing. So I said, hold on. I ran out and spent $1,800 of my money to buy a round-trip ticket from Paris to Istanbul. That's where he was going. He said, let's do it another three hours. So when I called my wife from Istanbul, I said, I'm kind of, kind of running a little late. She said, where are you? I, I thought you'd be in Budapest by now. I said, well, actually, catching a flight from Istanbul to Vienna. Oh, why? I, I, I got stuck talking to the guy. Now, my wife understands that paradigm. She said, okay, honey, travel safe. Let me know when you get there. So point is... <clears throat> Uh, you can learn from everyone in every conversation, as I learned from you every time we talk. Last but not least, and I'll stop talking about this. We can move on to something else. My last fourth pillar of success is outwork and outthink everybody. Well, at least outwork them. You can outthink everybody. It's just out of the question. never going to happen. Outwork them? Hmm. That is rarely, if ever possible. But outwork them? That is... How about that as an absolute that you have to try to do? Those would be my four pillars of success. Give me, and thank you, give me um, an example of outworking because I know you've done it. I do it. I get tired and I get cranky, but then I get back up on that horse, if you will, and go, you can't stop now. Well, you know, uh, outworking, it's yes people who say to the boss who wants volunteers Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, me, uh, it is yes people who, instead of going to a big company Christmas party, I ran a big business. And there are 5,000 people at our little company Christmas party, and I don't make my speech. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm at O'Hare Airport and the worst snowstorm of the century where we have a couple containers of printed matter that must be in L.A. next day or two days later because... Otherwise, we'd blow millions of dollars of television time and so on. Charging through the snow, passing out stacks of $100 bills at the airport, trying to find my stuff. Once you find it, you stack, put a bunch more stacks of $100 bills to these two lovely women that work for a company called Pink Lady Trucking to truck your stuff from there to the nearest airport that's still running, which is in Milwaukee. 
and then your friend Tom Cromartie happens to have a, uh, a FedEx 727 empty go in the opposite direction. Your stuff is in LA a day and a half later. Yes, people do that. Yes, people, and I'll give you a, 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 the best and worst job I've ever had. At 17, I, had, I got a job. At 17, I was hustling the Hollywood crowd on tennis courts for lunch money. I needed more money. I got a job at Cedars, Cedars Medical Center labs, at the research labs. I was cleaning rat cages. Why did I say yes to that? Two good reasons. One of them, it's the only job I could get that paid 24 cents an hour more. Then, quite honestly, it taught humility. It taught me a whole lot about honest work. Uh, honest work for honest pay, the best job, the worst job I've ever had of the many, and I haven't had that many jobs, but of the 200 things I've done, you know, I managed to have two jobs over all these years. So uh, that's a simple example. And then, you know, you talk about success. What are things that you do that you say yes to when nobody else would? You know, uh, uh, if you allow me, you know, there's, there's a great lyric by this great R&B group, Ray Goodman and Brown. Uh, and, and the Bee Gees also did that. It's how can love so right be so wrong? So I then said, wait a minute. I turned that upside down. How can love so wrong turn out to be so right? Stuff I've done that nobody else wants to do. Heck, I sold brain food, whatever the heck that is. I sold swimming pools in Northern Oregon and Washington. Trick is to find the morons that actually want to do that, buy it. I sold lottery tickets in El Gordo in Spain. You know, the $2 billion that goes to the winners? Uh, I never sold a Toyota, unless Toyota called, because they were blowing up on the freeways. You know? Uh -huh. I sold Tony Marlboro. They never called themselves Toyota's. They're blowing up on the freeway. What do you know? Okay, how about phony Marlboros made with yak dunk in Egypt to Russia? Now, one day I'll tell you the story in some detail. It's kind of like a bunch of potatoes or cigarettes. The buyer, the seller, the banker, and the suitcases, because the suitcase with cash, because inflation was going up 1% an hour. And me, I was the honest guy doing the counting. And we all sit there and, and, and bloody was stuck on the dock. There's bloody 10 degrees out, and on my demand, we're all wearing shorts and T-shirts and, and phones. You don't survive that transaction in Russia, well, unless you're naked, okay? Uh, I sold more flowers and chocolates online than anybody. Why? Came across a tiny little company um, 18, 19 years ago. Uh, we said, well, we can sell flowers online. I created an offer, which to this day hasn't been beat. It was so ordinary then. Uh, great story. Uh, that was Pro Flowers, right? Pro Flowers and Cherry Berries, I think. Cherry Berries, and then yeah. every other flower company thereafter. You know, we, we, went from, we went from a zero investment, I spent two hours writing a little ad, to selling millions and millions and millions of cases of flowers. Hell, how many flowers? My gardener's girlfriend's best friend also got flowers because we bought a lot of flowers. Uh, I'm flying down to Santiago one day. We spent a lot of time down in Chile with a, with a young man, Jack. Jack's, Jack's 
step, uh, father-in-law was one of those illiterate people in the late 40s that made their way there. And then somebody said to him, hey, uh, the owner saw Fords. The man said, what's a Ford? What's a car? Turns out oh, he became uh, enormously wealthy, and he owns the, one of the biggest horse ranches in the world. And I said, wait a minute. Uh, uh, Jack says, and I'm reading on a plane that Germany just outlawed fertilizers. Only natural fertilizer. That means manure. So I said to Jack, uh, manure, horse manure. He said, you know, uh, big ranch, a lot of manure. So oh, yeah, what a big problem. Uh, we put on the barges, we tow it out and dump it into the ocean. Expensive. Oh, I said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, hold on a second, Jack. How many barges? Oh, a lot. Now, go forward about two months. We have containers, many, many, many containers of horse manure going across the ocean to Germany. And that's how Jack became, forgive me, the horseshit king of South America. <laughs> you know, I mean, how about I saw, I saw holy crosses from the Holy Land filled with holy water uh, from the Holy Swan history. I explained that to the 11 attorneys general. And the last thing I will tell you, and because I don't want to take up the rest of the time, is some of the, the successful stuff I saw didn't exist. Uh, my favorite product of all time is something called Megaforce Digigraph. Megaforce is a title of a terrible uh, uh, Norris movie. Uh, I saw it three times, although it tends to end the same way. Digigraph is something I made up in the middle of none. I created that product for one reason only. So I can prove to the feds that I really needed to hire that Hungarian guy. Uh, I had to have him for my Hungarian business, which didn't exist. Why? My mommy called me. Oh, honey, family, can you help him? I knew them before the war. Three kids, don't have a job. Turned out to be illegal. To make them legal, I had to create a business. Uh, I invested 1500 bucks in that business. And... Now, you remember that great play story called uh, The Producers, uh, Mel Brooks? I've uh, heard of it. I haven't uh, seen it. It was designed, they raised 1,000% the money on something that was going to certainly fail. I did everything that I could do to make this fail. It just created an ad. It was all wrong. Trans hey, my ad was in English. Translated by what, a chemistry professor? I charged, Megaforce Digigraph was a watch that didn't exist. I charged the national average take-home pay for it. Who's going to buy it? Nobody. So I have a terrible ad in a terrible place. $1,500 later, six months later, we had very large buildings in seven countries. How love so wrong goes so right. Uh, but, you know, hey, my mommy asked me to help out. You know, it was an old honey cost. You can't, it's an industry. you can't tell right. your mama I mean, no. You, know, you, you, have to, you have to appreciate. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Please. No, 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 oh. no. I'm just saying you have, to, you have to appreciate negotiating with a Norwegian fishermen because you're cutting your undersea cables. And the feds don't get it. Uh, you know, and then you sell trillions of data points. There you go. And, and I love your mom's stories. I really do. But what you're 
and I wrote this down while you were talking, everything that you just shared with us goes back to opportunity, seeing that opportunity, whether it makes a lick of sense or not, and then researching, and then just making it happen. Yeah, some are going to work, some are not, but you're going to have a good time doing them. I mean, listen, my uh, podcast I, I, is a good example. I I took a, a leap of faith, if you will, 13 years ago, early adapter. Nobody was podcasting, and look where I am now, and I love it. I think that the fact that you love it shows through what you do, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I wish there was a forum, and there may be, where you listeners, and you have many, 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 many around the world, could listen to you talk on whatever for hours at a time. It'd be cool to have a three-hour Denise Griffiths show. What's oh, Denise going to talk about? No clue. No clue. I don't even want to hear me talk for three hours. I mean, I'm already bored. Well, hey, listen, I do not remember. Uh, patience does not run in my veins much. Uh, tolerance, I, I, have to, I have to make sure I have enough of it. Otherwise, I'm going to be living in Pavuva, growing a beard and drinking Mai Tais. Uh, but if you bring value, I, I mean empirical value, emotional value to those two or three hours, uh, there's a ton of people who want to hear it because most people's lives, unfortunately, or it's just a matter of, a matter of or, they're ordinary. We get through life. We have needs, desires, and wants. We somehow find a way to satisfy our needs. Our wants become secondary, and that's a big gaping hole in most people's life at Psyche. But, you know, uh, I don't don't know who wrote this. Uh, I I have no clue who wrote this, but uh, uh, most people – oh, I think it was Oscar Wilde, actually. Most people just exist. They don't live. Providing guidance, providing inspiration, Denise, it's a holy ground. And you do that. You do that. I mean, you let me talk, you know. I mean, somewhere in her grave, my remarkable mom and dad are sending you kisses and hugs. Oh, well, I love listening to you. Yeah, I'm, the whole time we're chatting, and we have these very esoteric conversations that can go from, you know, talking about canned beans to God only knows what. We cover a lot, a lot of territory. Although I don't think we've ever actually talked about canned beans, so let's don't. Let's take that one off the list. But (laughs) just so you know, don't don't bring it up next time we have our chat. But the thing is, when when you're talking and you're sharing and people like you and like me and my other guests and just leaders, if you will, and, you know, I – I honestly just did the quotes, you know, the the air quotes on leaders, because I think there are many different kinds of leaders. Some are terrific. Some are needed right now in your life. Some you're like, oh, hey, that was a one-off, but I enjoyed it. Now I'm going to move on to something else. But the thing is, we're all here for a reason. And if you're just sitting around going, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to go watch TV. I don't think you're really living in my view, but maybe that's living for, for you. So, who are we no, no, it's not. Yeah. You see, you see, that's one of the pillars of my life. You know, uh, a life without passion is not a life worth living. I know. You wake up in the morning yawning, and yawn through the day because there's nothing to get passionate about. How does that work? A life without passion is simply not a life worth living. I live that every day. 
and you do too. I do. My mom used to say, in fact, she sent me a birthday card some years ago, and I started laughing. I couldn't help it. But it basically says, you know, happy birthday, Denise. The, she, the devil said, oh, crap, she's awake. <laughs> That's kind of how my life works. I hit the floor running, and I don't stop until I maybe kind of sort of go to sleep. So I love getting out there and just kicking butt all day long. Might be my own. Never, most of the time, it is. <laughs> I will. Skill. I will now point out, out self, self, butt, self butt kicking. This yeah. self butt kicking. That's our new our new book, Stephen. Before I let you go, where can people find you? And do you have any last minute wisdom that you need to impart? Uh, I think that my uh, my my main precepts of life are uh, life is not a dress rehearsal. A life without passion is not a life we're living. Seek knowledge and wisdom everywhere from everyone all the time. And last but not least, uh, inventory your knowledge every day. In big oh. terms, if at, the end of, at the end of every single day, if I cannot identify two things I learned that day, there could be, it could be billions of people already know it, but they're new to me. You know, to a newborn, every joke is new or things that crystallize and all lights went on, then I wasted the only thing that's most valuable and not perishable, which is time. In terms of finding me, I hope you all read my book. It's titled Pimps, Whores, and Patrons of Virtue, available on Amazon, everywhere books are sold. And uh, the website that serves that is stephenjmanning.com. That's with a V, stephenjmanning.com. It tells a little bit, little bit about me, about the book. And the, the, the blog tab, which I invite you to look at, uh, has a number of pieces there that are uh, ex- exceptionally, I'm grateful, well-received, well-read, well-reviewed. And the subject of what is now, I don't know the least, 30 appearances this year thus far on those topics as some of them are very, very timely with, with the uh, uh, incredible political, social, economic uh, tsunami that we are living in. So if you, if you all rush off to stephenjmanning.com and then also buy my book and read it, and of course I appreciate comments. I get lots of emails from lots of people about my book because the book is, as you know, it's equal parts informative, equal parts fun, equal parts challenging, and yes, it also elicits a, sh- a tear or two. There are, it's not a novel. It's 31 individual pieces, all about the human spirit, the human uh, condition. And again, uh, the emails I get are, I got one at the middle of the night from a woman who said, you kept me up all night. I have no idea who she is. Uh, I laughed for an hour and a half, and I cried for an hour. And my husband wants to know, who the hell are you to disturb our sleep? Uh, well, that makes my book successful, you know. It does, and and I love that. You know that she is awake, and her husband's going, "What the heck?" And he's probably now reading it to find out, researching, if you will, to find out what got his wife up and well, thinking. So reading my book is a lot. Reading my book is a lot less expensive than getting a divorce. So I there you go. I hope he is, Stephen. Thank you, and just. So our audience knows I get to reread or I get to read 
everything before it's posted on the blog. So yay me. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate that. I, you, always I, me, uh, you always send me the document, and I yeah. really love reading them. Well, you reading my stuff is a privilege for me. Anybody listening to this reading, anything of mine, is ultimately a privilege for me. It validates what I do, what I am, and as I say, I, I absolutely betray myself. I don't say what I think, what I feel, and I don't say it with conviction, don't say it forcefully. If I don't do that, uh, I'm just in a flow of things. I'm, I become obscure and irrelevant. Exactly. Thank you again. It's always wonderful speaking with you, whether we're on the podcast or whether we're having our weekly conversation. But I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice and the case studies that you've shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and honestly anywhere else you consume your business podcast. The truth is you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your part in Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Stephen, thank you. It is my pleasure entirely, I promise. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 